You're drowned by my perfect fire. My boy, oh, welcome to the podcast today. Do you know what you sound like? What? Who are you trying to sound like? I don't I'll know. I did. I just, I just started. I just started doing my voice that way. You sound like the little, uh, the little uh, Munchkin guy from The Wizard of Oz. Oh dear. Oh, oh yeah. We yeah. wish to welcome you to Munchkin Land. We wish to welcome you to Podcast Land. Yeah, I'm Father Peter Muzzin. and I'm Scott Powell, and we are the lanky guys. Now you just sound like and a weird we leprechaun. Dude, the word on the hill. It's getting weird now. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, we're the linky guys. We did the word on the hill. Good. You already, you already said that. You know, that's, the, you that's know, my part. You know, what the problem is when you. Um, Which one? <laughs> there's so many, but I, I basically I banned the song "The Prayer." Which is like Andrea Bocelli, or I don't even know. It's like some really intense, dramatic, like super romantic song. You banned it from what? From weddings, oh, because uh, and and funerals actually, because um, it's it's so dramatic that when you try to come back to the liturgy, it's really it's it just like the lit it, it makes the liturgy just kind of fall short. And we're back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like, and and so that's kind of like my you introduction. Just stick with today. the eagle's wings, right? Yeah, <laughs> and he will raise you up. On eagles' wings, bear you on the breath of dawn. That is for, who is that for? Someone wrote us and said that we should never sing again. And I told her that she just poked a sleeping giant. I forget who it was. I was like, look out. Speaking of poking a sleeping giant. We got an email from Steve Baselli. Oh yeah, who said that? You no, know, he does not fast forward anymore. No, that he believes in us. Which I maybe we ruined it today. Yeah. Now that we've, now that we've, <laughs> hopefully we uh, did. Oh, no, I want, I want the Baselli's. I know, I do too. Mm. Uh, actually, it's actually kind of a moment of victory because Scott and I. You have to remember if you go back to the early um, versions of the podcast, you shouldn't though. Um, we just talked about stuff because we were like, dude, nobody listens to this anyway. Yeah. yeah. And, oh, um, Stephanie Saffold Woodridge, Woolridge. She said, oh, I love you guys. Don't sing anymore. <laughs> and I said, you have no idea the monster you've just provoked by singing. <laughs> so anyway. Yep. Oh. Yeah, we, yeah. yeah. We're not much better than we used to be, but we're shorter. <laughs> the, the intros are shorter. Yeah, they're not, I mean, they're still dumb. They're still dumb, but they're shorter. Yeah, but but this is the so thing. We have to pack th- a lot more dumbness into a smaller <laughs> amount of time, a smaller window. I have to say, I I do enjoy the, I do enjoy the banter. The like, banter. It's come on. This is our time to hang out. Father Peter and I are busy guys, so we don't get that much time to just just like hang sit out here and, and make fun of each other. I mean, we really don't, especially do. in front of other people. I know, is, so to speak. Which we were both talking about. It. We both have melan like Scott's a, a melancholic sanguine. I'm a sanguine melancholic. <laughs> and so basically yeah. we, we, we both kind of like regret everything that we do. Oh yeah. Instantly. Even, <laughs> instantly. Oh yeah. That's the worst. But it's and so Scott dials up his sanguine for this and I I dial my sanguine too for this. <laughs> but then after the podcast we're like, was that okay? No, we like, regret everything else. We were like, oh man, that was that was but I'll tell you this. Um, okay. um it's good like the fact that um i I'm not in Spain, I'm I'm like I'm I'm missing Spain. Yeah. But I've discovered a couple of things. Okay. One of them is in Spain, there's this lemonade called Kaz, K-O-S. Okay. And um, I figured out how to make it here, care of uh, some Gruber fram- family friends. You take Simply Lemonade and you mix it with club soda. Okay. And it dilutes the lemonade mm-hmm. so that it's not like 
killing you. And <laughs> and it is absolutely delicious. It is like drinking summertime. And Scott just took a sip. I'm drinking summertime right now. And I am drinking summertime right now too. Mm. Somebody else told me not to chew on the air, which I can't remember who told I've me. I've told not. you that regularly. Oh, okay. Well, I have some spree. <laughs> I have some spree, a uh, roll of spree, and I'm holding like a cigar you in my You really hand. are. With yeah. your little lemonade, with my lemonade, drinking your pint glass, I dude, like I just feel like you're a good the, the coolest adult version of myself that I could have imagined as a kid. It's like a Matthew Kelly book. <laughs> <laughs> like if I saw me as a kid, I would be like, oh my gosh, that dude is amazing. That dude is, I cannot believe him. He is for real. I cannot believe him. Look at yeah. those cool headphones you have on. It's it's for righteousness' sake. Yeah. Speaking of righteousness sake, we've got into some, the reading. We are in the 20th Sunday in the time that is ordinary. Ordinal, yes. So in the 20th Sunday of ordinary time, our first reading is coming from the book of Isaiah, chapter 56, verses 1, and then jumping ahead to verses 6 through 7. Did you read the intermittent verses? Yeah. I didn't do it. I'm oh, sorry. I apologize I. to my listening I'm audience. I'm going to read it right now. Okay. And then the next one that is going to be available to the... Um, liturgically worshiping audience mm-hmm. is going to be Psalm 67. Okay. It's going to be uh, the first strophe is two to three. Okay. Yeah. Second strophe is five. Very good. Then next is six. Oh. Then next is eight. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the verse is taken from um, verse four. Ooh. Very good. Yeah. So it's kind of it's cool. It's, it's very holistic. It's mm-hmm. complete. It is complete. All right. Our second reading is from Romans chapter 11, verses 13 through 15, and then jumping ahead to verse 29 through 32. I didn't read the intermittent ones on that one either. It's not. I, I did. I mean, it, it's it's just there are two important points that they're bringing together. Got it. I. It's not. We're not skipping anything really. Yeah, because because we, uh, we're, we're about skipping twenty verses. <laughs> well, uh, getting back from Spain and then like trying to like make all this happen, I'm like, man, I I my study is is weak right now. It's all right, man. So I apologize to the listening you got audience. Your, your coast drink. So I do fine. my coast. It's good. You don't have to worry about anything. Okay, and then uh, finally for our gospel, it is Matthew mm. chapter fifteen verses mm-hmm. twenty-one to twenty-eight. Um, very some, good. Some people get tired of that reading. Oh, oh I saw. You see how that you guys you are gonna, there? You're gonna have to figure out what I did later. You didn't hear what I said. Oh, what did what I, said did I you sighed and what you did there? Oh, no. That Don't did that made me sigh. <laughs> I'm tired of your sighing. Oh, Don. <laughs> um, if you already read the readings, then you're laughing right now. Yeah. You if do. you didn't read the readings, then you're I regretting not reading the readings. I guarantee if they le- read the readings, they're not laughing. <laughs> I guarantee <laughs> no one's laughing. In, 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 actually, yeah, that's probably a good point. Is whether or not you've read the readings, it's not very funny. Oh, well, the reason we skipped over all those lines in Isaiah is it's all about eunuchs. Oh man, dude! I personally prefer Linux over Unix, even though they same have the same core. I mean, what a I, nerdy joke. <laughs> <laughs> All of you computer uh, engineers from 1973 will really appreciate that one. Did Did you see that? Um, that uh, Facebook had to squash a bug. That they had to get this big team going because it was actually the way in which the Unix operating system actually was handling commands was like rewriting stuff into different locations in the kernel and stuff it was it was so little about what you're talking about yeah it was pretty phenomenal but they actually had to do a bug squashing session from like the 70s looking at ansi2 characters from documentation and if you're geeky right now you're you're loving this i mean and 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 i'm not as quite as erudite as i should be in my coding but guess what that's okay because we haven't gotten an isaiah yet so i can still banter yep okay and talk about the unix for the kingdom come on i really want to have a t-shirt that just says unix for the kingdom unix dude come on like this is it 
I don't, what, what are you talking about? Unix is uh, an operating I mean, I, system core uh, for computers. No, it's cool. I'm sorry, man. I'm just not as cool. I'm not as cool. I mean, I wish I was as cool. I do not. concede that point, but like, yeah, yeah as you should. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's get on. Are you texting? What are no, you doing? I'm trying to, I'm doing some, I'm doing cool stuff. <laughs> okay. Lay off. Today can we're, you, can you handle the ship for a second? <laughs> I can. This can is, you drive this thing? Yeah. Yeah. So we're back in Isaiah um, <laughs> for our first reading today and, and uh, we're in chapter 56. And so if you have been um, kind of intent on listening to the the podcast, and you know that we're in the book of Consolations. Um, so we're we're kind of deep in, and and it's really good. Um, but uh, we're, I'm not going to belabor that point. If you have not been listening to the thing, Isaiah is broken up into two books: uh, Book of uh, Desolation, Book of Consolation. And so, fifty chapter fifty six, um, we're getting into the context of this because yep. when, whenever um, this is one of those things where in the podcast. We're always looking at, at a few things, and we're looking at context, content, listener, and speaker. Mm. So we're th- th- those four things, are, um, which uh, are, are care of Jen Lozier. We were talking about some of that stuff the other day. Um, but and you should always be actually be paying attention to how the Lord is actually doing the same thing in your life. Yeah, because there is context of your life. There is content that He's trying to communicate, and yeah. the, you're a listener, and He's a speaker. And sometimes you're a speaker, and He's a listener. And so. Um, so when we get into this, um, why don't you tell? We have most of the context already yeah. pre- present. I mean, like we've already talked about most of the context, but this one yeah. is going to be a little bit more particular. Well, it is. So yeah, we're in, so Isaiah, as we've said, just spans this huge amount of time from you know prior to the exile and all the warnings, and then into the exile, and then going looking forward to what it's going to be like after their exile and after they come back and all these things. So in um, the Book of Consolation, looking ahead to the future, here that's where we get. And so the, the reading begins with the first line of this particular chapter, which says, Thus says the Lord, observe what is right, do what is just, for my salvation is about to come, my justice about to be revealed. Again, the, the context here is a people who are going into exile, right? They're saying, how long, O Lord? Why are we stuck? Why has our land been taken? I thought we were your chosen ones. We th- I mean, this is sort of the problem of the Old Testament heading into the New Testament is these people who have been told by God that they're his firstborn son. They are the chosen people. They're the, they're the ones to be the light to the world. And now they're living in utter darkness. They've been slammed by the rest of the world. And they're an eyesore to the rest of the nations. And they're, they're saying to themselves, why, why has this happened? How long are we going to be held down? When are we going to be able to be the people we're supposed to be? And they, they've come to this state because of their own sin and because of the rejection of God and his covenants and turning after other gods. But it still raises this very important question that, and this is, this is jumping a little bit ahead to Romans, which we'll get to in a second, which is our second reading. But it does pose this very important question that, and, and we, sometimes Christians tend to look at the Bible as though God's a little bit schizophrenic, right? Yes. That he had these people that he marked out to be his chosen people in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And the New Testament rolled around, and he just kind of changed his mind. And like, ah, oh, forget you guys. Now I'm going to move on to these other people. Mm-hmm. But that's, that doesn't do justice. And that's really one of the problems of the New Testament is St. Paul trying to figure out, okay, what about the chosen people? I mean, yes, God is— well, Yeah, and, 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 we're, and we're dealing with this in, in Isaiah. I mean, there's a, the, the, part of the difficulty is, is that there's a, when you're the chosen people, there's a pride that comes in. Yeah. And the Lord is actually—like, you can hear in these—at least I'm hearing in these words 
uh, a softening to say, you know what, there is going to be more. I mean, like the call to worldwide blessing really is a command that is actually supposed to come. I mean, it's a promise. It's a it's a gift that I'm going to actually minister out of. Well, and that's the point. This is sort of what, so that question that I posed, has God forgotten about his people, is one of the central themes of the book of Romans in the New mm. Testament. Paul is addressing that question, has God forgotten about his covenants, about his people? And his answer is no, because if you go back through the Old Testament, there is not a single point where it isn't clear that it was God's intention to bring all the other nations back into this. Got it. And so that's what Isaiah is setting up. So it says, the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, ministering to him, loving the name of the Lord, becoming his servants, all who keep the Sabbath, Sabbath free from uh, profanation, profanation. <laughs> and hold to my covenant, <laughs> I will bring them to my holy mountain to make them joyful in the house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Those are the same words that King Solomon, or the really similar words that King Solomon declared when he consecrated the temple in, I think it's First Kings. He said, this is going to be a house of prayer for all the nations. Now, whenever I give a church tour, I um, I take them and, and there's four steps that you actually have to walk up. And I, I always talk about how that's actually a symbolic representation of north, south, east, and west. Oh. That the, 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 the church has actually become a house of prayer for all nations. And oh, so then so then it's gathering from east to west, north to south, everyone. And, but, and everybody's like, did you make that up? And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, I did. <laughs> like, it's, I don't know if the architects had thought that, but it's a really great way to actually explain that this is a house of prayer for all people. It's a great image. Well, but here's the problem, though. You get the sense that the people of Israel either ignored this or just didn't see it throughout a lot of their history. Because, you know, by the time of Jesus, there's this famous, I think Josephus writes about this, there was this famous... Um, thing where in the temple of Jesus' time, so in um, was Zerubbabel's temple, right? The Herod was renovating the temple that was there when Jesus was was around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here it is, you know, the words of Solomon, and then reiterated in Isaiah. The temple is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. In Jesus's temple, the temple of Jesus' time, there was a big sign up between the the courts of the Gentiles, the places where the non-Hebrew people could go, in between the the courts of the Jewish people where they could go. That said something to the effect of. Anyone who enters here who's not an Israelite, you alone are responsible for the certain death that will follow. Ooh. And you're like, okay, that's not really being a house of prayer for all the nations. They've made <laughs> the holy mountain, which is supposed to be the place where all nations flock to, they've made it a nationalistic symbol to themselves. And they've used it as a way to circle the wagons. Um, we have to be really careful. I mean, there's been a long history of anti-Semitism tied to Christianity. I don't think Christians... I don't think Christianity is anti-Semitic, but people have accused it of being that. But we have to be very careful. This is a problem of the people of God. This isn't, oh, the Jewish people kept everybody out. This is the fact that we as the people of God do this. And we do it today. You know, we, we're like, well, we go to Mass. We have these things. This is who we are. We're Catholics. We know better than you. You're all out there. You're doing crazy things. Are we, I mean, do people look at St. Thomas Aquinas? Do they look at your parish, wherever you are, yeah. and think, wow, that's a house of prayer for all the nations to flock to? People should be begging to come because we have the Lord of the universe sitting on the altar and in the tabernacle in that building that you go to every week or every day. Yes. Do people see that, or is it the place where you go and we shut the doors and we're like, nope, this is our thing? This is this is where I'm safe. Yeah, but that's the problem of Israel. That's what they've done, and you do get the sense. I mean, it's important that we reiterate this first reading because this was ignored. This wasn't seen. It wasn't noticed, or maybe nobody realized how this was actually going to play out because they're the outsiders. They're the ones over there. We are Israel. To us belong the promises. Period. Does that make sense? Yeah, but the, but that that's actually why you have a prophet coming into this 
reiterating the fact that this is actually the goal. This is actually where we're right. heading. And and th- that's the thing is that God always sends the saints, the prophets that are appropriate for the age to actually yeah. help overcome the, the 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 vice of the of the particular time. Yes. And so the the vice was the turning in and circling the wagons versus saying no. Like let's actually let's make this happen. And and that's why I think it says the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord ministering to him. Yeah. Which I love. We always say that in our liturgy. Yeah. We, we are, do. We thank God for being able to stand in his presence and minister and to minister him. And minister to him. We do say that, don't we? Yeah, it's it's just a really beautiful I always I always um think of the um Garden of Gethsemane, yeah, uh, and and then the Passion. Anytime you get to meditate on the Passion, and I've said this before, you actually are ministering to the Lord because it is an eternal moment. And so, by becoming present to that eternal moment, you're loving God in that particular moment. There's to God, what is time? I mean, um, it, we encounter when we encounter eternity, we actually get to be there and be present to Him and love Him. And I think that that's really beautiful to think about it that way. Absolutely. But again, we're forgetful, and we forget that. And again, this is the problem. What did I mean, you say? We're forgetful. Oh, I get it. Ah, very good. <laughs> and I, I know I'm talking about Romans. Romans is the the book that I love. I mean, but I mean, the problem in the the early church, let's just say, it was in, it articulated in Romans. But you have these Israelites basically looking around, saying, "Wait a second, how come there are Gentiles that are now bishops and priests and are deacons and are house church leaders, and how come?" You know, there's Greek and Roman people that are running the show now. I thought this was an Israelite reality. And Paul has to go back and remind them, no, look, look at what Isaiah said. It was always supposed to be this way. There will be foreigners ministering to the Lord. This is appropriate Mm. that there are these outsiders that have now been brought in. Now, the question is always, okay, how is that actually going to happen? So Isaiah is sort of setting us up. Hindsight's always 20-20. Yep. And it's easy to look back and be like, oh, yeah, obviously, but... Anyway, that's our context for the first reading. So again, we're in a time of exile, or at least we're thinking about a time of exile. God is looking ahead saying, yes, you're going to be pretty much pretty beat up. God is going to bring you out of that. He's going to glorify you, but you're not alone anymore. He's Mm. going to bring everybody else with him to his holy mountain. What's the holy mountain? So it says, remember, Isaiah kept saying all the nations are going to flock to his holy mountain. Yeah. What's his holy mountain? Man, why are you going to ask me these questions? Because this is a hard question, though. Yeah, I mean, like, I, what are I, the Israelites thinking? The Holy Mountain is the uh, Temple, the Temple Mount, right? Yeah, the Temple Mount. I don't know if that's the Holy Mountain that God is talking about. Though. Well, I mean, like, I, I go into my kind of Vatican Council too, and I no, say, no, no, no. I know, I know, but this is what I'm. This is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that the Holy Mountain is the the source and summit is the Eucharist. Starts actually. with the sea. Um, um, Carthage, Calvary. Oh. Dang it. I mean, think about it. I mean, th- just think of the irony, though. I mean, but, and this is my thought. Dude, honest. that's actually really good. But uh, think of the irony of this. What we're thinking is, oh, they're going to flock to our holy city, which is on this huge mountain, this walled fortress, this beautiful edifice. That's what everybody wants to come to. And mm. God is saying, no, no, no. The true temple, not the brick and mortar one anymore. The true temple is now hung, bloodied, and shamed, and humiliated on a cross on Calvary. That's where all the and and remember in the Gospels, who was the first person to declare that Jesus Christ truly was God? Roman soldier. It was a Roman soldier. It was an outsider. It was a foreigner, and now that foreigner is used in the scriptures to minister to us because he was the first one to make that declaration. So it, it's it's never what you think. It's never what we expect God is going to do. And as, as whenever you encounter be- the beauty in the first reading, you want to respond with song. You do want to respond with psalm, which is where we get the psalm. 
And the psalm is so appropriate. It says, oh God, let all the nations praise you. And we have to remember, again, this is all Old Testament. This is not a surprise that God sprung in the New Testament with Jesus. Oh, by the way, this is going to be for the Gentiles too. No. I mean, it's all over the Old Testament. All the nations are supposed to be praising yeah. God. This was this was an expectation. Um, I had something interesting I wanted to say about that. Let all the nations praise Yeah. So one, one thing, one thing. So I was thinking about the covenants this morning as I was doing some research on this. And I think there's some veiled references to the covenant with Noah. So remember, there's six covenants that were established throughout the Bible. Yes. First is with Adam. Um, the second one God establishes with Noah. Do you remember what the promise God made to Noah in that covenant was? Who was that? Who was that covenant made with? Uh, covenant, covenant is always two parties. Who are the two parties? God and all the nations. No. And God and Noah. No. Well, he, this he, gets overlooked all the time, and I think it's key to what Jesus is doing. Well, I think that it's he's will never uh, ha, let deluge happen again, isn't that? That's the, not a covenant, though. Oh, Who are gosh. the parties of the covenant? I don't know. It's God, and not just Noah. It's not God and all the nations. It's God and all of creation. Oh, and it's established. It's set forth in Genesis as a covenant that will never be broken. So, you know, Jesus comes and sort of undoes a lot of the Mosaic covenant because that was a temporary reality. Yeah. But the Noah covenant, that was perpetual. That was going to be eternal, which is why when Jesus comes, double rainbow. Double rainbow, man. What does it mean, man? But that's why when Jesus comes to offer salvation to the world, it's actually got to be to creation as well. Stop it. You're kidding me. I just was making it really profound. (laughs) Double rainbow. Me too. Oh, man. Come on. That's the sign of the the covenant. So I just had to do it. Double rainbow, baby. Okay. But it's not just... Us. It's not just Christians. It's, it's not just the creation. Hebrews. It's not just the nations. It's all of creation, which is why wow. the Catholic view of salvation, at least the way that we articulate it, I don't think we're alone in it, but we articulate it uniquely, is so profound. Because I never learned this in my Protestant days, that look, Jesus came to restore everything down everything. to the rocks and mulch that Calvin is buying at Home Depot right now <laughs> to renovate the house. But I mean, all of it is set to be restored. Jesus became matter to restore all matter back to himself. Matter matters. Matter matters. But that's a big deal because that covenant made to Noah that all of creation is his and he loves it and he's going to renew and refashion it. That is perpetual. That stands. So when Jesus comes, he can't just reconcile us to the father. He can't just reconcile the nations to the father. He can't just reconcile the Israelites to the father. He's got to reconcile everything to the father. It's that line from St. Irenaeus, right? That which is not assumed is not not redeemed. redeemed. It's an all or nothing thing. Either Jesus came to redeem everything or he came to redeem nothing. It's all of it. And that's what the psalm is sort of reminding us of. It's not just the nations. It's not just the outsiders, the foreigners. It's all of it. That's what God desires. Everything. Wow. So let all the nations praise him. And in historically, you know, this psalm was often sung at the beginning of matins, at the beginning of the day, mm-hmm. as the sun, and the understanding of at least the Eastern Church was as the sun was rising in the east and starting to shine light on everything, the idea was that everything that is now seeing God's light should respond with praise. And so they put this at the beginning of the day as the sun is literally coming up from east to west and beginning to shine its light on everything. Nothing can escape the light of God. Now, we can reject it, but nothing can escape it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, anyway. Man, that's like, it's really beautiful. And then when you think about the nature of the covenant, mm. um, or the sign of the covenant mm. too, as being light. I mean, 
like it, it, the the rainbow is actually what separates and actually distributes the components of all light. Yeah. So the sign of the covenant is actually saying that everything that gets touched by this light, and we're going to look at the divergence in the colors of the. Um, oh, I wanted to say Roygibiv. I can't remember the <laughs> acronym for the um, for the uh, colors of light, but I think that that's actually it's really not Roygibiv. No, is it, is it Roygibiv? Is that's it, the rainbow. It, right. Is that is that the rainbow or is that um red? Oh, uh, I was thinking every good boy deserves fudge. Um, <laughs> EGBDF. <laughs> so it is Reggie Biff. <laughs> I've never heard that. Every good boy deserves fudge, dude. Yeah. That's how you remember the notes on this on the on the tablature. Sorry. On the tablature. On the uh, scales. On the on the staff. On the measure. The beat. The tempo. The I bass believe, clef. The I believe treble clef. I can't. I can't even remember. So it's cool. Um, so that's that's awesome. I, and so the, I really love that you found that Noah's Noah's reference there. Yeah, which gets us into um, Romans. Um, my my friends, um, you are all you all like Romans. You you want to know why? Why? Because you are Roman Catholics. Ah, ah, very good. Hold on, that was actually not a joke, but it was implied that I was saying a joke because you are Roman Catholics. But okay, let's move on. Romans. Dude, you're the you're the Roman master. Brothers and sisters, I'm speaking to you. Okay, so brothers and sisters, here's what he says. This <laughs> is at the tail toward the tail end of the letter. Okay. Where Paul is beginning to So I love to read Romans backwards. Whenever I teach Romans, I always tell the students that they should start at the end. All upon mercy have might he that disobedience to all delivered God for mercy received now may to they you to shown mercy the of virtue okay. by that uh, order in disobeyed uh, now have they so disobedient. I saw your little smile. <laughs> I did, did you see that I was yeah, about to go for it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I like to read Romans, not strictly backwards, but to read some of the end parts first because it's a really long letter. Okay. And Paul is setting up this huge argument throughout the whole thing. And he doesn't get to his conclusions until the end. Oh. So it's nice to kind of read the, some of the last sections first. You're like, oh, okay, that's his conclusion. How did he get there? Got like, it. Why is he thinking this? And you kind of put it all together. So 11 is where he begins to kind of come to his conclusions. Remember, one of the I, we mentioned this earlier in the podcast. I think one of the main problems of the letter to the Romans is these Israelite people looking around and thinking to themselves, wait a second, I thought we were the chosen ones. I thought we were the firstborn son, how come there are these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people now leading the church? Has he forgotten us? Has he abandoned his covenant? And Paul basically comes back by saying, you know what? I don't know what's going on here. I'm very troubled by it. I remember last week he said, I'm, I weep for my brothers and sisters. I wish I myself were accursed and cut off for the sake of my brothers. Why are they rejected the Messiah? Yeah. He's agonizing over this. And so yeah. then he comes to this, brothers and sisters, I am speaking to you Gentiles, so you non-Israelites, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I glory in my ministry in order to make my race jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? You're like, that was really confusing. So what's he, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, the, 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 you know, uh, when I talk like this, they say, "Ooh, that's must logic." You oh know, like, no, it's, yeah, it's Paul logic. Yeah, this is Paul logic. Yeah, like if rejection is a for if their re rejection is a reconciliation of the world. Right. What? Okay. Okay. The cross. No, I don't think that's what he means. Oh, here's what I think he means. Okay. Who is the greatest teacher in Judaism at this time? Gamaliel. Yeah, I don't know if Gamaliel is still alive. Probably, he probably is. Um, uh, Zerubbabel. No. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Paul. 
Oh. Saul of Tarsus. <laughs> because oh. he's the student of, Zerub- of, of um, Gamaliel. Gamaliel. Gamaliel was the known to be the best. How do you measure the best teacher in the world by their students? The best teacher of Gamaliel was this guy named Saul, Paul. So Paul is the best of the best. He's the best guy Judaism has. You're the best and around. No one can ever take you down. Okay. Thanks, man. So here's the irony, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, I think. Here's the irony of the Gospels is that you have these two men that sort of shoulder the the, the evangelization of the early church. You have Peter and Paul. Yeah. Peter... Well, let's take Paul first. Paul, greatest thinker among the Israelites, probably yeah. of the time. He could have any job in any yeshiva he wanted to. I mean, he's he's the best. Around. There doesn't <laughs> there doesn't seem to be anybody more perfect and fitted to going to the Jewish leadership, to the Pharisees, to the Sanhedrin, to the high priests, and showing them through Scripture in the Old Testament why Jesus is the Messiah we've all been waiting for. Nobody is better equipped to do that than him. Hmm. Who does God not send Paul to? Them. Any of those people. Yeah. He sends them to everybody else. The Gentiles who don't or aren't schooled in the Torah, don't know these languages, don't know probably anything that he's talking about. Who does God send to the religious leadership of the of the Jews? He not sends, not the best around. He sends but Peter. It's Peter. Who's, who's this out of work fisherman, probably fairly uneducated. And like totally impetuous. Yeah, and you're like, why? That doesn't make sense. Well, he's my favorite, too. Though. So Paul sort of gets some rationale to this, because he's probably wondering, you know, I've spent my whole life studying this stuff. How come I'm sent to the very people who will probably appreciate it least, right, to these Gentiles? And he yes. says, what he says is that I glory in my ministry, I glory in my ministry in order to make my race jealous. And I love that line, because I imagine maybe there's some of the Jewish leadership and these Israelites are thinking, wait a second, our best guy is teaching them? He's teaching the outsiders. Why is our best teacher not teaching our own people? Why is he out doing all these things over there? It's kind of like right. Dumbledore and Harry Potter. Right. He's teaching at Half-Blood versus right. the Full I don't know. I don't know. But I get exactly what you're saying. And so you're like, yeah, like, I mean, you, you He look, should be our guy. Well, I mean, it's like there. you look you look at the World Cup. I mean, who is the teacher of the, the coach for the U.S. team was a German and and right. so and so the Germans are like, wait a what, second, wait a second, yes. why isn't he with us, man? This guy exactly is like the right. best around. But that's where he says, for if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world. Now here's where Paul is putting a lot of weight on himself. Paul's got a big head, not necessarily uncorrectly, but yeah, the rejection of the Hebrew people of this message is what propelled Paul to take his message to the to the others to the to the Gentiles. So he's basically saying. Because my race has rejected this message, that's what made me go out to you Gentiles. Mm. So you were, in fact, hearing this message and being reconciled and brought to the holy mountain of God, like Isaiah said you would be, precisely because my people rejected this message. Mm. That's what propelled me out. So if the rejection of my race meant the reconciliation of the world. Of course, Christ has done all this, but their rejection meant that's why. I mean, if you read Acts of the Apostles, the church only starts heading outward with the message once the Jewish people reject it and don't want anything to do with it. Now, that's not outright. Of course, the whole church, the other church was Jewish. The apostles were Jewish. There's a lot of Jewish people that accepted it, but a lot didn't. Yeah. And this is Paul's kind of continuation of his agonizing over that. And he's saying, well, you know what? Look, God is still bringing good from it. So if their rejection is what led me to go out to the rest of the nations, and God is bringing such profound good out of that really sad situation— just imagine what it would be if they accepted it. Yeah. If they did see this. 
Ah, yes. And then he jumps ahead. And he, well, the readings jump ahead to verse 29. For if the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. So remember, what's the question? They're saying, we're the chosen ones. We're the ones to whom, you know, the promises were supposed to be. We're the firstborn sons. And Paul's saying, yeah, that's irrevocable. That still is the case, which is why, which if is, you guys accepted yeah, yeah. this, uh-huh. it would change everything. Mm. It would be mind-blowing for just as you once disobeyed God, but have now received mercy because of their disobedience, Mm. you Gentiles, because of the Israelite, many Israelites disobeying and not accepting this. So they have now disobeyed in order that by virtue of the mercy shown to you, they too may receive mercy. So if you're grateful for the mercy that God has actually brought you into the family, you need to pray for your elder brethren, I think Mm. is the idea. Mm-hmm. If you recognize that God has been merciful and brought you in, yes. you need to try to return that and pray for that mercy on the rest of your family because they're your family for Pete's sake. And that's what he's trying to emphasize because in this whole schema of Romans and this whole milieu, you have these Jewish people thinking, okay, I thought we were the promised ones. You know, I thought we were the firstborns. And you have these Gentiles probably at the same time who are getting pretty big headed saying, nope, it's us now. We're the ones in charge. We're the chosen people now. You guys blew it. And Paul's saying, no, 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 be very careful where you're headed there. For God delivered all to disobedience. We've all disobeyed. You Gentiles were worshiping big stone statues a couple weeks ago. You know, you Jewish people did it back in the Old Testament. Now you've rejected the Messiah. We're all on the same boat. Paul spends most of Romans leveling the playing field. He spends the first three chapters showing how lousy all of us are. Like we're all pretty miserable sinners. None of us deserve this. It's great that you Gentiles have been brought in. It's great that you Jewish people were given the promises. None of you deserve anything that you have. It's all God's mercy. So you should be thankful for that, and you should pray for the other. That's the idea. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. Those, that he might have mercy on all. And those who have prayed for mercy, the response of the Lord is abundance. Exactly right. That's actually really yep. beautiful, which is a really beautiful transition into Matthew. Exactly right. I think this that second reading fits so— because the second reading is always kind of the wild card, but it fits so well. Yeah, with what's going on here. Okay, so okay, um, so uh, Jesus withdrew to Tyre and Sidon, mm. which is where where we're making where our your jokes. joke came from. Yep, I was tired of this reading, and he was sighing about it. Ah, ah I sighed on and on. Uh, so Tyre and Sidon, contextually, aren't they at the north of they're the kingdom? The, they're the northwest. Um, yeah, they're in the northwest, so they're right on the uh, Mediterranean coast. So they're they're really kind of the the northwest summit. of the Sea of Galilee. They're at the summit. They're the northernmost point region. Pretty pretty far north. Nor- northern region, aren't they? Yeah. Is there anything above it? I think so. Because I because because I, I maybe not had, maybe not. I always had the concept that this is actually kind of an expression of what Jesus was trying to do geographically as well. Well, Zeru, um, Zebulun and Naphtali, where Matthew starts his ministry in chapter 4, are sort of the geographic northernmost point. Got it. And then he moves down south. He hits the Galilee. He takes a little side note out west to Tyre and Sidon. He comes back, and he makes his way down south. Got so it. there is a geographic expression, but it begins in Zebulun and Naphtali. Oh, yes. We did talk about in that chapter in chapter 4. Yeah, right. Yeah. So they're pretty far north, but there, there's things north of them. Yeah. I think part of the key to Tyre and Sidon is that they're really not on the way to anything. It's another one of these great scenes where Jesus goes someplace he really doesn't have to go. It's not on the route to where he's headed, but he goes there anyway, which I just think is kind of cool. It doesn't, you know, the Gospels don't give us any explanation to that. It's kind of like Lubbock, Texas. It's kind of like that. It's not really on the way to anything. Or Durango. Or Durango. Uh, okay. Okay. Moving anyway. on. <laughs> and behold, a Canaanite woman of that district came and called out, "Have pity on me, Lord, son of David." 
my daughter is tormented. My daughter is tormented by a demon. Now, what does the story remind you of? This reminds does it remind me, you of anything? I mean, uh, it reminds me. I mean, th- this is uh, actually where uh, you have. Um, I mean, Jesus has always been called out after to heal somebody from the dead. Uh, does do it remind some... you of a very specific story that we've seen so far in the Gospel of Matthew, where yes. Jesus responds differently? Well, let's no. finish the story. So this yeah. woman calls out, "Have pity on me, son of David! My daughter is tormented by a demon." But Jesus did not say a word in answer to her, so he ignores her. Jesus' disciples came and asked him, "Send her away, for she keeps calling. She keeps yelling at us. Tell <laughs> really, her to stop." I, I just like Tell that response. It. They're like, "Gosh, stop this hell, stop!" <laughs> he was yelling at me. <laughs> Send her away, for she keeps calling at us. He said in reply, "I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel." But the woman came and did Jesus homage, saying, Lord, help me. He said to her in reply, it is not right to take the food of the children and throw it to the dogs. And she said, please, Lord, for even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the table of their masters. And Jesus said to her in reply, O woman, great is your faith, and let it be done for you as you wish. And the daughter's woman was healed from that hour. I like this. Poor priests that have to deal with this. Like, okay, I know and it's then, like uh, Sunday. Yeah, Jesus okay. is like he, he's like he's like, hey, I'm not called to you, so like get <laughs> right. out of my way. Like, what do you want? First, he ignores her. Ignores. Then he her. calls her a dog. And then, and then he's like, oh yeah, you're cool. Oh, and then you have a good faith. Okay. Good. Uh, I mean, did you see the pile of commentaries on my desk that I was kind of looking through this morning? <laughs> I did. I did. Just I had a good sense of it, but I wanted to see what other people said about this. Yeah, and what are they saying? Well, okay, so the, there's a very specific story that this reminds me of in Matthew that Jesus does the exact opposite. So remember the Roman centurion who yeah. comes to Jesus and he's like, hey, my servant is sick, right? He's not tormented by a demon, is he? No, he's no. Just sick. He's just sick. But this pagan, this non-Jew comes and he says, my servant. And Jesus says, oh, absolutely. You're great. How great is your faith? You know, the whole thing. It's a, it's a non-Jewish person. It's somebody, it's an outsider who comes to Jesus, asks for healing for someone else. And, and he Jesus, doesn't throw an insult at him. No. And he just like, says, okay, yeah, I'll keep going this way. And then... And then a woman with hemorrhage is healed, and then he goes yeah. and... Like, well, who is probably Jewish? Who is probably Jewish. But I'm just saying, like, it was just kind of like, okay. But his argument good. his argument here, though, is that she's not Jewish. She's an outsider, right? I know, but this guy was an outsider, too. Exactly and, right. And, and he like, didn't mock him or anything. They exactly. can work for it. So that's why you have to be like, wait a second, what's going on here? Yeah. One of the things I find interesting, so where's this woman from? Well, she's from Tyre and Sidon, but what, what's her heritage? Canaanite. So she's, she's a Canaanite. Now, which, what do we, where do we know the Canaanites from? Canaanites are, I mean, they're, they're the original occupants of the land that Israel had to put the ban on, and it's supposed to get them out of the land. Basically, yeah. Yeah. And who is in charge of that whole movement? Um, P, uh, M- Moses and Aaron, no? Moses never went into the promised land, remember? Oh, yeah, that's right. I'll, close. Um, um, Caleb? No. I can't remember. Who led the people into the promised land to, to expel the Canaanites and destroy them? A- Aaron. No, who? No, it's so cool. Joshua. Yeah. Oh. Joshua. What's Jesus' mean, name mean again? Uh, what, the one Joshua. Joshua, yeah. It's yeah. Joshua. So now there's a new Joshua. So the first that's Joshua. That's what his name means. That's no, I'm sorry. Not, sorry. His name is Joshua. Jesus and Joshua are the same yeah. name. So there's a first Joshua who goes into. First of all, it's kind of amazing there are still Canaanites around. Yeah, I mean. Because they were wiped out, you know, pretty much obliterated thousands of years before this. Yeah, so she's, she's a hanger-oner. I mean, she's enduring. Yeah, so she's still there somehow. Um, there's a new Joshua now that is going to do the opposite of what the first Joshua, in, in fact, did. But you're like, okay, so first of all, this is where this woman's coming from. She's got the son, daughter who's tormented by a demon. I, I made a note of this. I found out in my research this morning, there actually was... <laughs> th- th- it, it shows kind of a... It's just an interesting fact about this woman's faith. 
Um, there was a, a temple nearby. It was three miles northwest of Sidon to a god, a pagan god named Esh- Eshmun, who was the pagan god of healing. And if something was wrong with you or your family member, you would go to the temple of Eshmun for healing, to receive healing. Oh. And it's ironic. I don't. Maybe this woman tried it and it failed, but it's interesting that there is a temple for healing right nearby that she's not at. Instead, yeah. she comes to Jesus, calls him Lord, pays him homage, and asks him for healing. I just thought it was a geographic, just kind of interesting thing. That yeah, absolutely. She didn't go to the one-stop shop where people usually go for this. She came to Jesus. And so, you know, she's calling out and she's saying, send her away. I think if you think, okay, here's my take. And I couldn't find this really in any commentaries, but I'm going to throw my own two cents in this. Okay. He says, first of all, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So who's the house of Israel? Well, we know who the house of Israel yeah, is. Yeah. How do I want to set this up? What was the what was the the vocation of the house of Israel? I mean, a worldwide blessing, right? So their vocation was to basically be a light to all the nations. Yes. So if there are Canaanites and Samaritans and all sorts of other nations who do not know the Lord, whose responsibility is that? Israel. It's Israel's job. Their job was to actually give bring people like this woman into the family. Why does Jesus? So I mean, we have to turn around what Jesus says here. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Actually, a couple chapters before, remember, he says the same thing to his disciples. When he sends out the 72 and two by twos, he says, go Go only to the the lost sheep sheep of the house of of Israel. Israel. Don't enter any town among the the Gentiles or the Samaritans. Why? Because it's appropriate that Jesus starts, it's not that God likes them better than everybody else, but God's going to stick to the structure that he's actually created. It's their job to go out to the rest. They're supposed to be the ones to bring their family members back in. So it's not that God doesn't, I mean, plus this is, it shows you Jesus has been doing the opposite since the beginning. I mean, there's been Gentiles flocking to him and he's been giving them healing, but he wants to emphasize that it's important. I mean, God is not accidental. I mean, it's not, it's not an accident that Jesus was incarnate the year that he was in the time of in the place in the world and the geography and the ethnicity that he was. I mean, God could have become incarnate anywhere at any time among any group of people. He chose to do this yes, because God is faithful to his promises. They yes. are the covenant people and it's through them. Not that they, and see, this is the point of the whole thing in Isaiah. The temple was to be this house of prayer for all nations. Not so everybody could look and be like, oh, wow, look at how great that is. I want to be a part of it. But the temple was supposed to be, the people of Israel was supposed to go out and bring people in because there was this something profound that they have. God always works from the uh, the particular to the universal, right? Yeah. He takes one to save the many, yes. right? He takes one people to be the light to the many. There's one son to go out and save the rest. You know, it's one to the many. Um, so that's why he's chosen. So it's appropriate that Jesus becomes an Israelite because there's the, they're the ones whose job it was to bring the nations back. They failed at it. So Jesus takes on their responsibility for them. He becomes yeah. the one, the Israelite, the Jewish yeah. man who will actually reconcile all these things. And I think when he call, when he says the whole, uh, it's not right to take the food of the children and throw it to the dogs. I actually think what Jesus is doing is mocking the people that are around him. Because that's what the Jewish, that's what many of the Jewish people are saying about people like her and yes. the Samaritans and the Canaanites. Oh, they're the dogs. And he's basically saying, look, uh, how do I say this? It, was, was it that he I was... I think it's like, tongue in cheek. I think he's... That he was actually like, like you can almost imagine somebody like, like because all of the, all the, the apostles are paying attention now. 
Because they're like, this woman Absolutely. is yelling. She's made a huge disturbance. Huge scene. So he's kind of looking at the disciples and he's like, it's not right for the dis- for us to give food to the dogs. Right, guys? Right, nudge, guys? Nudge, wink, like, wink. And, and, like, and they're like, oh. And they're like, oh, man. Because you can almost imagine. <laughs> can you kind of see that? The, the, yeah, because the, they're entire inside and they're like, oh, man, I bet you that's where the, all those Canaanites are living. Yeah. Those dogs. Yes. Like you can almost Absolutely. hear that that would be a context of that. Why did we come here? It's like people... You know, who yeah. come to Boulder and like, oh man, we're surrounded by these bold people. Think our town's weird? No, they don't really. Yeah, come on. I know they do. But you know, they're like, oh, we're, the, we're with these people. Oh, the hippies. And he's like, oh yeah, right. Are these these dogs? These dogs. Yeah, we shouldn't yeah. do. That. I I don't know. I kind of. I wonder what his tone of voice was. You know, I wonder what yeah, the yeah. expression on his face was. Yeah, and, and actually, says, what he says literally. Um, where is it? But, but oh, the, but the dog—the word he uses for dogs—is uh-huh. actually the Greek equivalent is is little puppies or little dogs. Oh, which is kind of interesting <laughs> because but, of what he says later, because he talks about how large her faith is. He juxtaposes oh. directly the little puppy that he called her with the greatness of her faith that she actually has. Well, yeah, because I mean, you do you think about these guys? I mean, these are some rough and tumble brothers to to be able to actually. I mean, they're living an entirely itinerant life. I mean, you yeah. you, you meet anybody who are, is a through hiker, mm. and they have a superiority complex. I mean, because <laughs> because they they live a very grueling existence of mm. that's radically exposed. And Absolutely. so for her to be like, no, and she's like, no, even the. But I like how she responds in in, in the analogy. Yeah, oh, says, absolutely. She says, please, Lord, even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the table of their masters. Right. And I mean, and, and she's still remaining in such homage of, yes. of Jesus. I mean, she's very respectful. And that's that's really where, like, I mean, I don't know. How do the commentaries make sense of this? I mean, like, are they just, like, did they just describe it away? Like, because it's really hard to, it, it feels so mocking culturally to me. Like, contextually, if somebody were like, Dude, you know, like I, I'd imagine. I remember reading some of these in the past, and they're talking about how Canaanite nations, or like the like the the way in which they like. I don't even remember actually. Yeah. I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, I mean, we we can keep going on in our explanation and and actually just keep talking on it on those lines. But yeah, like, no, I'm trying to recall what the commentary. I mean, they don't. I don't want to say they explain it away, but nobody does it just. I I think personally. The only way that this makes any sense is if Jesus is mocking his own people in the way that they talk about these Canaanites. Is yeah. that if he's using this tongue in cheek? I think that's the only way that this actually makes any sense. And I that, think, and that she actually humbles herself in that own, her does. own language yes. in front of all of them, which would have stung all of them to the core. Oh, wouldn't it? Oh, and that makes all the difference with this reading. Then you're like, oh, and, and then he whoa. proclaims her gigantic faith. How yes, good, oh woman, how great is your faith? Let I mean, it be done for you as you wish. I mean, clearly he's testing her. I mean, that, that that's the one thing that the commentators all all you know share in common that he's he's kind of testing her with this. He's not calling her. He doesn't think she's a dog. No, right. He's, he's testing her to see how she's going to respond. But I think even more than that, like like we've said, he's testing his apostles and he's actually showing them how ridiculous this actually is. And one would hope that they might be reminded of these passages like our first reading, like Isaiah, that talks about all these nations are going to flock in, even the Canaanites, even those people and the psalm that declares all the nations will adore him and will will praise him and all these things. 
because that's not a new thing. Jesus is not doing something novel here by talking about this woman's grandi- grandiose faith, not grandiose, but this woman's great faith. Yeah. It's not new to welcome in the Gentiles. And sometimes we read the New Testament that way, as that if God is doing this brand new thing by bringing in all the foreigners and all the nations, no, that's what he was supposed to do from the beginning. Yes. And that's Paul's whole thesis, is that God is true to what he says he will do. If God says he's going to do it, think about it. The whole Old Testament schema is set up by God saying, I have this firstborn son. Their job is going to be to go out to the rest of my my people and bring them back. They fail at it. So what does God do? He comes among them, becomes one of them, goes out to his people and brings them back. He's going to do what he's going to do one way or the other. He's going to have his purposes done, whether it's through us or in spite of us. It's going to happen. And that's the point. Well, in which is a lesson and an education for us yes. in the midst of all of this, because um, uh, there's a lot of ways in which we can uh, prevent people from actually climbing the holy mountain of the yeah. Lord and encountering Jesus Christ. It's like you, you uh, I mean, some of the some of the egregious errors are like like um, the over enunciation of yeah. rubrics in the mass. Yeah. Like oh, don't hold hands. Oh, like like an overemphasis is as if the 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 external um, uh, uh, the external observance is more important than the spirit, which is yeah. something that's always being condemned. Yeah. Or through our own moral um, exhibition, we can hmm. we can actually prevent people from being able to see things, to yes. be able to see the glory of God. Yes. Or our own um, un- unwillingness. To actually just speak of the yes. wonderful and beautiful experience that we've had with God, like th- those are the things that, that like like stop people. I mean, because yes. people are, I this is the thing that I am always most noted. People are so much more open to the gospel and to Jesus Christ than you would ever give them credit for. Absolutely. And, and so sometimes we just forget that like it really doesn't take much for God to be introduced to somebody. Yes, and like. And um and so that's why we constantly work in in saying like okay yeah that's right I am evangelical I am actually the one who's actually supposed to bring the light of Christ yep. into people's lives and and I get to watch it I mean that's one of the great things about what we do in campus ministry is that we get to see people just take up that mission and be like oh yeah totally yeah yep on game on right and we're surprised by that sometimes and we are but it's so beautiful yeah. and it's so good and so thank you to all of you out there who are courageous enough mm. to be able to say, yeah, oh yeah, that is my mission. I actually am going to take this up. I'm not going to think that you're foreign just because of your foreign and you don't understand what we're doing, right. that it's not, it's not worth my time. And I really appreciate you who, who just love everybody. And um, yep. my dad is one of them. I think he's pretty cool. Go dad. Go dad. Do dad. Do dad. All right, everybody. That's don't, all I got. Don't fake the funk. They wouldn't, real. Fake, they wouldn't fake the funk. They would know. You're Come right. On. Give them some credit. I give credit where credit is due. Good. That's going to be my country song. Credit is due for you. I'd send us an it. email. Pin us on Pinterest. Thank us on Thanksgiving. <laughs> Find <laughs> us on Facebook for real. And uh, yeah, we'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Dude, I have to I have to say, I got a couple compliments for you. Uh, just as, uh, you know, yeah. They were, uh, I was talking to somebody and they were like, man, just, Tell Scott that he rocked it when he had Fly Solo, that oh. you like really did well and it was really good. Shucks. Yep. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, so that was that was. I just... got a handful of emails that were like, oh, you did a great job, Scott. We're really excited for Father B to come back. So it's good. I, I am, um, that is my vocation in the world is to bring levity to all things, especially people who are trying to make a point. You're well loved. 
And you are well-loved, too. And you all are well-loved. So we will see you next week. Keep it real. Bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.